0: Well we are in week two of a three week message series that we 're calling uh, generosity I know it 's a it 's a super unique title, um, but that's that 's what we 're going with you know many people are surprised to learn that throughout god 's word uh, there are over two thousand verses uh, that deal with money, possessions, uh, giving, and generosity in some form or fashion. And in fact, we were reminded last week. That of the 38 parables that Jesus taught in the New Testament, uh, 16 of them deal with money and possessions. Jesus taught about money and possessions really more than any other topic in the New Testament. And that's why I, I truly believe it's important for the church to talk about these things and to do it at least once a year. You know, my goal for this series that I shared last week um, is not to tell individuals or families um, how you should specifically give or specifically be generous. The goal of this series is for us to open God's word together, uh, to learn practical truths about giving and generosity. And then uh, I think kind of a personal goal is just to, to motivate and encourage our church. Um, to see how God has positioned the church and how he can use us moving forward in the ministry of giving and the ministry of generosity. So in the book of Acts, chapter 20, and verse 35, the words of Jesus remind us that it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, it's interesting to me, that these words are not recorded in any of the New Testament gospels so Matthew Mark Luke or John instead they would have been passed down by the people who personally heard Jesus teach you know Luke the the author of of Acts he would have investigated these things and then he would have written down what uh, what was true so so it would continue in the church so for that reason you know, we're going to use this, this verse as really the foundation of our, our series on generosity. Because, you know, when you pass anything down to another person, it's usually because it's important, it's, it's powerful, or, or life-changing, or all of the above. So this, this verse is going to serve as the foundation for this series on generosity. Last week, we looked at a passage of Scripture found in the book of Second Corinthians chapter 8. And it's here we read about how the the Apostle Paul encouraged the church in Corinth uh, to give generously. That was his encouragement uh, to this this body of of believers. So to motivate them and encourage them uh, to give generously, Paul reminded them about another group of Christians known as the Macedonians. Now the reason the Macedonians made such a huge impression in Paul's Life. The reason that they, their story was so moving to him was because at the time of, of sharing their story, they were going through a really difficult season as a church. They, they were not only going through a difficult season, but they were also uh, very poor um, as a church. Individuals, families, and, and the church as a whole. Yet, they were extremely generous. And Paul chose to pass on their story uh, to the church in Corinth, to motivate them and encourage them to really grab a hold of this vision of what, what God can do through giving and, and generosity. So our takeaway and our encouragement from last week's message was really threefold. And I'll lay it out for you just really sim- in a simple way so that we can use that as a transition for today's message. The first piece of encouragement or takeaway that I gave us last week was that you know our understanding of biblical generosity and how... as as followers of Jesus, how we're called to to live generous lives, it always starts with God. It always starts at looking at his example throughout scripture because he's perfectly generous. And then we talked about how generosity is contagious. I shared some personal stories how other churches and how other families, um, through their uh, choice of, of being generous, how that's impacted my life in such a huge way over the years. And I challenged you to start thinking about the, the course of your life. And as you do so, I'm sure there's been people in your life that ha- have, have led the way in generosity in such a way that it's made an impact in your life. Maybe, maybe how they serve or how they give or how they pray, whatever way they chose to be generous. And then I challenged us that, you know, God wants his church to continue to grow in generosity. His plan is for us to grow collectively as the church, as well as individually and as families. In fact, as followers of Jesus, I believe that Scripture makes it clear that we are to lead the way in the ministry of giving. We're to lead the way in the ministry of generosity. So this week we're going to pick up really right where we left off uh, in Second Corinthians, and we're going to do so um, by looking at four generosity principles that Paul passed on to the church in Corinth. And the way we're going to do this is uh, this today's message is going to be part one, and next week is going to be part two. So we're going to have two generosity principles today, and and two next week. So towards the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and as you, as you move into chapter 9, Paul tells the church in Corinth that he really doesn't need to remind them about the importance of giving. He, he really doesn't need to remind them about the importance of generosity because uh, this church in Corinth, they usually are the first to step up and say, hey, we're going to be generous, we're going to give. When they recognize a need, they're usually the first ones to try to meet that need. Now, as you read 1 Corinthians and Second Corinthians, you're going to learn that this is a pretty messed up church. All right, they had they had a lot of things that Paul chose to rebuke them about and correct them about. But when it comes to uh, generosity and giving, um, Paul says that they usually lead the way. That they're usually the first ones to step up and say, "We're going to be generous. We're going to meet needs." So he continues this this encouragement and instruction anyway because, you know, it's important to have that scriptural reminder for why we're called to give, why we're called to be generous. In fact, I've said a few times, one of the main reasons that we gather every single week as the church is because if you're anything like me, you're forgetful. I'm forgetful, right? We come together as the church and we're reminded about the promises of God. We're reminded about the truths in God's word. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6, um, Paul gives the church some extremely important generosity principles. And and I kind of think about these like parenting principles. And my hope is that we're going to learn together, but then we can immediately apply these things as we leave today. So if you're taking notes, the first generosity principle, the first truth that we're going to talk about today is that you harvest what you plant. You harvest what you plant. So in 2 Corinthians chapter nine, verse six, this is what we read. Paul says, "Remember this: A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop." So I was, when, I, when I first read this, this verse, I was curious this week, do we have any farmers by trade with us this morning? Any farmers? All right, we got one. How about this? I think we'll have more hands. Do we have anyone who grew up in a farming family? All right, we got a few more hands. So you grow up in a farming family, you're going to understand these agricultural illustrations that Paul is using really easily. But I think for everybody else, because we live in the Midwest, because we're around this a lot, this is super easy to understand, but the truths that we're going to learn today, they're often hard to apply. So in the first century, it actually was really common for teachers to use these agricultural illustrations to help their audience learn whatever truths they were trying to get across, whatever truths they were trying to teach them. You actually see this a lot from Jesus and his teaching, and you see it from other New Testament authors as well, like what we see from Paul here in 2 Corinthians. So just a couple of examples from Jesus. One is in the book of John, chapter 15, and you don't have to turn there, but if you want to go back and reread it later, you can. In John 15, uh, Jesus taught his disciples that he is the vine and that as his disciples, we are the branches. And he says if we stay connected to him, we're, we're going to grow and we're going to bear fruit in our lives. But if the branch becomes disconnected from the vine, it's going to slowly die. It's really unable to produce anything of worth on its own. So Jesus used this particular agricultural illustration to teach an important truth, and that is that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, really nothing of worth. And then you go to Matthew chapter 17, and we read a story about Jesus healing a young boy, and this boy had been suffering from seizures. So before Jesus heals him, the boy's father actually brings him to the disciples in, in hopes that they would be able to heal him, and, and they try, and they, they fail royally. So Jesus, he decides to respond to his disciples, and in Matthew 17, we read this. He says, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could move mountains. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could move mountains. So Jesus used this agricultural illustration to teach his disciples another important truth. He says, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. When, when our faith is rooted in God's power and rooted in God's authority, not our own, even faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. Now, I have a picture of a mustard seed that, that I found. I thought that was kind of cool. I have a mustard seed, and I'm not afraid to use it. <laughs> that should be the response of the church all the time. But mustard seeds are, are tiny, right? I, I had another photo that I didn't include, but it showed thousands of mustard seeds, and they fit in like a cereal bowl. You know, and I was just reminded about the faith of the church. I uh, in 2012, I gave a, a message. I was a youth minister at the time, so I got I was given the privilege to to preach uh, the Sunday after Christmas, the Sunday after Easter, anytime the pastor was on vacation. Like that was the designated youth ministry preaching days, and uh, so they didn't give give me very many opportunities. But I preached a message in 2012, and I entitled the message "Big Faith." All right, and uh, my wife was actually pregnant at the time, so. That was funny. And uh, that took a minute. <laughs> it wasn't about her. I had to clarify it then, and I'll clarify it today. But uh, it was called Big Faith. And I think the content of the sermon was, was good. But if I had to do it over again, I would go back and change the title. And really kind of the main focus of, of the message. Not, not Big Faith, but I, I would call it Faith in a Big God. Faith in a Big God. You see, it's really not about the size of our faith. It's about placing our faith, however big or small, In a big God. Amen? That's because with God, all things are possible. I I believe we even have these words written on our walls in the church when you go down the hallway. With God, all things are possible. So like these word pictures that Jesus paints for us, the Apostle Paul talks about generosity. And he does so uh, by giving an agricultural illustration. He talks about generosity in terms of sowing and reaping or how I would understand this, planting and harvesting. See, his first century readers would have understood this illustration. Many of them would have been farmers themselves, or at least known about farming. And they all would have understood that one of the main goals of, of farming is to produce a large amount of healthy crop. Like, no farmer sets out with the goal of saying, I'm going to produce a small crop that's unhealthy this year. Right? That's not the goal. That's not what they set out to do. It would just be, it would be silly. Right? You can nod your head. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. So when Paul says, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop, he's saying this. He's saying, when you plant sparingly, it's common sense that you're going to harvest a small amount of crop or no crop at all. This verse is a generosity principle for how we should steward the wealth that God has entrusted to. To us, and how we should do so with a biblical framework and mindset. You see, the person who is stingy with their wealth is like the farmer who plants sparingly. They, they plant only a few seeds. And we just agreed that it would make no sense for a farmer to plant sparingly, right? No sense for them to expect an unhealthy harvest. Paul's saying a person who is generous with their wealth is like a farmer who plants generously. See, this is the difference between viewing generosity through a scarcity mindset and viewing generosity through an abundance mindset. We talked about this a little bit last week. When we live our lives with a scarcity mindset, here's what usually follows, and and, and it never fails. I've seen it in my own life. I see it in the lives of others. When we live our lives with a scarcity mindset, what follows is we're stingy with the wealth that we have and the possessions we have. We're stingy with those things. We typically worry about money a lot. And maybe you're here today and, and you're worried about money. You know, you're worried about having enough and, and paying the bills. And, and I hope God's word today is encouraging for you. And maybe it helps redirect uh, the path that, that some of us are going down. So we're stingy with our wealth. We worry about not having enough. And then the end result is always the same. We harvest little. But when we live our lives from an abundance mindset, we return generously to God. We bless others generously as we're led by the Holy Spirit to do. And we trust the promises of God that are given to his people through his word. His promises about providing for our needs and being, being all that we need. And, and notice that, that I said when we, when we live our lives with an abundance mindset, we return generously to God. I think terminology here is, is extremely important, especially in the culture that we live in today. We return generously to God. To God. You see, we have to remember that as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we believe that everything that we have is a gift from God. Amen? Everything that we have is a gift from God. So when we, when we say things like, well, we're, we're giving to God, right? We're giving to God. We're actually assuming that we own everything we have. And this is not a biblical view of money. It's not a biblical view of possessions or generosity, Having a biblical view of of these things means that we're simply managers, or or better yet, I think the best word is steward. We're stewards of what God has entrusted to us. That's why planting little, worrying a lot, and living our lives as if we own everything that God has entrusted to us, that's why these things are crazy. It just wouldn't make sense. You wouldn't see a farmer planting a little and expecting a small harvest. It just doesn't make sense for the Christian. And I'm going to be the first to admit to you this morning that I, when, when it comes to living from a scarcity mindset and an abundance mindset, I have lived most of my life believing that I own everything that I have and that I have the final say for how I should spend money and for how I should extend generosity to others. I've lived the majority of my life believing that. And this really just goes back to our, our sermon series on the book of Galatians. We, we talked about what it means to follow Christ and be free in Christ. Remember, freedom is not doing what we want to do. That's not freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ is doing what we ought to do. It's being led by the Holy Spirit to live our lives how he would direct us. I think it's, it's, it's theologically sound. It's very accurate for the Christian to say that God should get the final say for how we return a portion of what he's given to us. To him through the local church, and we're we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. And for how we should be generous towards others through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And again, I'll be honest, I still struggle with this to this day, but I'm learning how to trust God more and more. I'm learning how to trust God's promises and his words more and more as I grow in Christ. And we said last week that generosity is not something that you just you just arrive one day. It's a lot like the fruit of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit grows in us. It's a process. You know, where, where we're at today is hopefully not where we're at two years from now when it comes to generosity. And I think that's individually, and I think it's as the church. God wants us to grow in generosity. So the principle that Paul gives us, this first one, is simple, It's simple to understand, but it's hard to apply at times. It's difficult to apply. See, Paul isn't commanding Christians to give a certain amount. Instead, he's challenging us to look for opportunities to be generous. He's challenging us to look for opportunities to be generous. He's saying those who plant generously will also harvest generously in terms of what it means to bear fruit for God's kingdom and in many other ways as well. We're going to talk about some of those other ways next week. See, as Christians, we're called to be generous from an abundance mindset. And From a place of joy because we know that God is the one who provides for our needs. As we grow to believe this truth more and more, um, we're going to extend generosity more and more. In part two of this message, we're going to talk about how we're able to give generously even when it seems like we have little. I I think it's all about uh, shifting our, our mindset to what scripture says as opposed to what the world says. So the first principle is that you harvest what you plant. God calls his people to be generous spiritual farmers. Even if you're not a farmer by trade, did you know you're a farmer this morning? You're called to be a generous spiritual farmer. I'm called to be a generous spiritual farmer. And God's word says that if we plant generously, we're going to harvest generously. The second truth that we're going to talk about today is this, um, that generosity is a choice. Generosity is a choice. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, just the verse that immediately follows. He says, you must each decide in your own heart how much to give. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. This next part is equally as important. He says, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So when I read this verse last week, I actually immediately put down what I was doing. I called my wife and I said, hey, what's the name of that movie where a person was given a large amount of money, money they didn't earn, and then they were asked to immediately give it all away, but they did it reluctantly. So that's a big sentence, right? But I was, I was excited because I was remembering a scene from a movie and I was asking my wife to help me remember what movie this was. It's like when you hum a tune in your head and you can't remember the name of the song. Man, I hate when that happens. <laughs> it just drives you crazy. Well, I, uh, it was a shot in the dark because we both love movies, but I'm, I'm kind of more the movie buff. I, w- I could watch movies all day, and she'll watch one, and she's done. All right, she's good. She's, she's gracious enough to watch one with me. But it was a shot in the dark, and I asked her, I said, what is, what is this movie? And I was surprised that she immediately knew the movie that I was talking about. She said, I, I think, and she kind of said it with a hesitation, I think you're talking about the movie Ghost." with Whoopi Goldberg and Patrick Swayze. (laughs) Oh, man. I was so excited to remember a scene from a movie that I I could use as an illustration on Sunday until she said it was the movie Ghost. And then I wasn't so excited. (laughs) Because I think when we think about the movie Ghost, there's one scene in particular that everybody remembers. And no, that's not the scene I was thinking about. But nevertheless, I'm going to use it as an illustration this morning, all right? Let's, we're just going to get into it. So just a show of hands, who was born after the year 1990? All right, raise them high, raise them proud. Just kind of look over the auditorium. There's a few of you, all right? So Ghost was made in 1990. It stars Whoopi Goldberg, Patrick Swayze, and, and Demi Moore. And here, here's the simple plot of the movie. And this isn't like an endorsement of the movie. I'm not saying, hey, go home and watch the movie Ghost today. It just fits with the illustration, so you're going to have to work with me this morning. So here's the simple plot. So you have this guy in the movie. His name is Sam Wheat, and he's played by Patrick Swayze. He's a banker, and he's got this girlfriend who he's he's madly in love with, uh, Molly Jensen, and she's played by Demi Moore. And uh, early on in the movie, Sam is murdered by a guy who was hired by his best friend, Carl and Carl is a sketchy guy, all right? You, this isn't the kind of guy you want to be friends with. So there are some lessons we can learn from this movie, all right? And that's, that's one of them. Pick your friends wisely, all right? Um, iron sharpens iron. One friend sharpens another, all right? So not a good friend. He was a, he was a, a corrupt business partner. And so after, after some of you are laughing because you're like, this is my life right now. I need this. <laughs> I need to pick my friends more wisely. Um, so after Sam is murdered, he's left to roam the earth. As a ghost. That's why the movie's called Ghost. And uh, once he learns that his friend Carl betrayed him, he actually seeks out the help of a psychic named Otome Brown. I mean, that's just an awesome name, right? Otome Brown. That's just, that's just funny. It's played by Whoopi Goldberg. And her, her character is hilarious. But the, the point of the movie is, is that Sam had some unfinished business on earth, and he needs to set things right. And in doing so, he has to protect Molly from Carl. Now, again, very few of the elements in this movie are accurate to what Scripture teaches about death. So just take that with a grain of salt. But the scene I remember, and, and I tried, we tried to find a clip for this this week. We just couldn't find one. But the scene that I remember is when Otome Brown, so the Whoopi Goldberg plays her part, she walks into a bank, and Sam's ghost is at her side. Now, no one can see Sam, but she can talk with him and they were at the bank to close a, close out a 4 million dollar bank account that Sam's shady friend Carl was wiring money into so they close the account out she's handed a check for 4 million dollars she's never held you know an, an amount of money this large in her life so her reaction is is priceless i mean the movie is worth watching just for that scene all right her her facial expressions it, she's she's going crazy so she's excited. She's got this $4 million check, as I'm sure any of us would be. And she walks out of the bank, and then Sam immediately asks her to endorse the back of the check and then hand it over to a couple nuns that they see on the side of the road uh, for a good cause. So you can imagine, she looks at Sam, and she's looking at the check, and she's like, no, like, there, there's no way this is happening. I'm not handing over $4 million. And she gets into this, this argument with him, and they go back and forth. But she finally decides that she's, she's going to cave. She's going to hand over this $4 million check. And it's hilarious because as she hands this check over, she tightens her grip, all right? And the nun, you know, she's excited. She has no idea what's on the check. And she's trying to take it from her. And then she looks up and she's like, this person not letting go of the check, all right? She's, she's gripping it tighter and tighter. And it really is an awkward scene in the movie. It's one of those times when you're watching a movie and you feel awkward for the people who are playing the part. You're like, I can't even watch this right now. So for about 30 or 45 seconds, they go back and forth. And she just won't let go, but she finally lets go. But it wasn't her choice. She didn't want to give the money away, even if it was for a great, you know, cause. She didn't want to be generous. And I was just thinking about my own life this week. I mean, I've had, I've had moments in my life where I have given money or I've decided to be generous, but I wasn't excited about it. I, I did it reluctantly. All right? I think maybe we've all been there. Just nod your head if you've been there. We've, we've all been there. You've, you've given, you've done, it, done so reluctantly. Well, Paul says in verse 7, that we must each decide in our own heart how much to give, not reluctantly or in response to pressure, and that God loves a cheerful giver. Every time you read that verse now, you're going to say, not the Whoopi Goldberg way, right? You're going you're gonna to be reminded each time. See, God's word teaches us that generosity is a choice. But that when we do give, as followers, of Christ, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we're called to give differently than the rest of the world. And he really begins to lay out a pattern for us, that we're called to, to give generously. We're called to do so from a place of joy and for the glory of God. That's why we're called to give. And Paul reminds us that the amount given is really not what's important. What's important is the heart and the motive behind are giving. That's why Paul says, you must each decide in your own heart how much to give. When he says this, he's saying that generosity is a choice, that it should be voluntary, and that we should never give reluctantly or in response to pressure. This, this verse, Paul really is just reinstating what he said previously in 2 Corinthians 8, as well as throughout the New Testament. So in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 12, Paul says, whatever we give, He says, whatever we give is acceptable to God, and listen to this, as long as we give it eagerly. Whatever we give is acceptable to God, as long as we give it eagerly. This this word eagerly in the Greek is very similar to giving generously or cheerfully. It's giving for the glory of God, not because of what other people think or because we feel pressured to give. I'm going to say something this morning that I, I think needs to be said, and I don't know how it will affect everybody, but but I believe God put this on my heart this week as I was reading this, and that is this, that the amount that a person gives should never be a source of pride or embarrassment. The amount that a person gives should never be a source of pride or embarrassment. In the book of Mark, chapter 12, uh, verses 41 through 44, we read a story that illustrates this truth even further. So Mark uh, chapter 12, verses forty, starting in verse 41, we read these words. It says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and he said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part or a tiny portion of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. You see, church, the amount that a person gives is not what makes a gift generous. When we're talking about giving generously, we're not talking about an amount. The amount that a person gives is not what makes a gift generous. And and the amount should never be a source of pride or embarrassment, regardless of what you're able to give and how you're able to extend generosity. See, the widow gave more than everyone else because she gave generously, she gave cheerfully, and she gave for the glory of God. That's the lesson here. And this story, it's a great reminder to me that God can do far more with the 90% that I keep than I can do with 100%. God can do far more with the 90% that we keep than we can do with 100%. That is, that's truth. You could say it this way as well. If you're talking about generosity in terms of serving or just the, the whole scope of generosity, God can do far more with my surrender than I can do with my control. God can do far more with my surrender than I can do with my control. So Paul also goes on, he reminds the church that God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver because he is himself a cheerful giver. And if you don't believe that, if you don't believe this morning that God is a cheerful giver, I want to challenge you to do something. This is something that I've done at least one other time in the past, and it it does help. Go home and get out a piece of paper and a pen, and just begin to write down all of the ways that God has blessed your life over the years. And I think what you're going to find is that you need more than one piece of paper. God is a cheerful giver. You know, I've found in my own life when it comes to giving and generosity that if I'm unable to give generously and from a cheerful heart like Paul talks about, it's usually because there is ungratefulness in my life towards God or others. If I'm unable to give generously and cheerfully, it's usually because there's ungratefulness in my heart towards God or others. You know, it's good for us to go back and remember all that God has done in our lives. That's a good thing for us to do. It's good for us to to recognize all that God is doing in this season right now. When we do, we remember God's blessing in our life. And then we're moved to a place where we're able to give cheerfully instead of reluctantly. That's kind of the main point of that passage, that we're called to give cheerfully, not reluctantly, that God loves a cheerful giver. As God's people, we're, we're called to give differently. We're called to serve differently. We're, we're called to, to give generously, uh, cheerfully, of our own free will. Remember, generosity is a choice. And we're called to give for the glory of God. So the first two principles, and it's just two verses that we're looking at today. The first two principles is that you harvest what you plant. You know, when we're stingy with our wealth we can expect a small harvest. When we're generous with our wealth, we can expect a generous harvest. And next week, maybe you're wondering, what is what is that harvest? What, what is he talking about there? We're going to talk about that next week. We're going to talk about what the harvest is that, that God blesses us with when we when we plant generously. And then finally, you know, generosity is a choice. We have to each decide in our own heart how much to give, not, not reluctantly or in response to pressure. The point again, is to give generously, to give cheerfully of our own free will and for the glory of God. Amen? We're called to give differently. We're called to give generously. Let's, let's lead the way in generosity because of who Jesus is, because of what God's done in our lives, because we know that it's for the glory of God.